Welcome to Opening the Door Podcast. Join me as we unlock the door to our psychic and mediumship abilities. Please excuse my hoarse voice. I totally lost my voice over the weekend doing lots of talking, but it was a great weekend, so no regrets. Today, you're going to hear an interview with Brittany, who is a practicing witch. We're really embracing Halloween season here on the pod. So this week, we're talking about the history of Halloween and witchcraft and how they're connected. Brittany brought so much knowledge and so much research to the episode, which I am so, so grateful for. I hope you enjoy it. I had so much fun having this conversation with her. So this week is the history of Halloween and witchcraft. Next week, it'll be sort of witchcraft basics. And then the last Wednesday before Halloween, I'm doing a ghost story episode. And this is where you come in. I'm collecting ghost stories for a special spooky episode at the end of this month. So if you're listening to this episode in real time, it's October 12th. If you have a spooky ghost encounter that you want to share on the podcast, you can either email me with the written story or email me over a voice memo of yourself telling the story. And there's a good chance it'll be on the podcast. So email me at openingthedoorpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, with your spooky ghost stories, and let's have a a nice spooky episode before Halloween. But uh, aside from that, without further ado, let's get into the episode for today. Today we're welcoming Brittany to Opening the Door. Brittany is a witch who loves teaching and helping others find their paths and passions. She started in kitchen witchcraft, Italian folk magic, and plant-based magics, but now just calls herself eclectic. Her goal is to form a community interested in self-work, knowledge, caring of nature, and enjoying a little humor and science along the way. So welcome, Brittany, to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, so excited to have you on. So our first question, let's just talk a little bit about your witchcraft journey personally. How did you get to where you are today in your practice? Well, Growing up, I was always super interested in the occult, in witchy stuff, you know, it's tarot, ghosts, the paranormal in general. And then as an adult, I started to realize like, hey, no one's really stopping me from diving further into this. (laughs) uh, As a teen, I definitely started to dabble more and I got deeper into it and I was like, what? is my ancestry like? What did they do? And I started to learn about herbs and all the correlations and all these really fun things that just mishmash together. And I was like, this is a really good time. I love doing this more than I have loved anything else. I'm gonna stick, I'm gonna stay here for a while, you know? So when you talk about sort of your ancestry, is that the, is that sort of where the Italian folk magic stuff comes in or? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I have heavy Italian ancestry. And then I also have I'm kind of like a, a mixed bag <laughs> but yep. at this point. Right. So uh, I have Italian ancestry. I have Germanic ancestry, a lot of European ancestry, but it's all over the place. But Italian is the one that I wanted to focus on because I just love the culture. That's where I wanted to be at. And it's where a large portion of my actual like ancestry is. So diving into that was fun, just like learning about the region, what the people were doing and what plants they were using and the gods that they worshipped and what they were doing at the time. It's cool. And plus, like, always a great reason to use more garlic. Oh, yeah. Great reason. (laughs) So cool. I love that. I love hearing about people, especially within witchcraft, sort of exploring their 
specific heritage and getting into what witchcraft looked like for like their ancestry and ancestors. So very cool. What are some things that you do in your daily routine as I guess a practicing witch? You know, there's a ton of things that all make up the whole. So it could be anything from maybe I'm having a cup of hot tea and I want to add a little cinnamon. Now I add the intention of bringing abundance and stirring clockwise and drinking this tea, or maybe I'm putting on my makeup. So I'll draw like a sigil underneath my foundation or when I'm washing my face, I'll wash with the intention of removing excess energy or all these little things, a lot of glamour magic actually. But that's the easiest to incorporate. And something as simple as cleaning, actually, just cleaning your house can really help with incorporating witchcraft into your daily. We have to look at how we can improve the mundane before we jump straight in, like cannonball our way into deep, deep magics, you know? So got to learn how to vacuum my carpet thoroughly with intention, vacuuming up energies and what herbs can I sprinkle down? Can I sprinkle down salt? What's pet friendly, you know? And looking into all of that and really just incorporating it. And I love it. It's fun. Just like even a shower, take a shower, for example, right? You can blend herbs and salts and olive oils together. Now you have this wonderful scrub to scrub off any negative excess energy that you don't want. Maybe you find yourself like really anxious and that's an unusual feeling for you. Now you can make something to kind of like help yourself calm down a little bit, a little lavender. We love it. (laughs) Yeah. One thing I do love about witchcraft and I wouldn't call myself like a practicing witcher, like, uh, but I just like love the topic overall. And one thing I love about it is just placing intention behind like what you're talking about, little daily things. And um, I feel like it's, it's just helpful and, and really cool. So, yeah. And so you call yourself an eclectic witch. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, an eclectic witch just means that we've kind of like dabbled here and there. And now we're just this wonderful mishmash of practices all together. So I think of it almost like a little rubber band ball where you start with this wonderful little core of knowledge and then you add a layer and then you add a layer and then you add a layer. And now you're you're like an encyclopedia of magics. Obviously, I don't know everything and I probably won't in this lifetime, (laughs) but now I have all these little helpful things that I wouldn't have learned otherwise if I hadn't have branched out a little. So for example, green witchcraft, that's how I learned a lot of plant-based magics or kitchen witchery, uh, learning to cook with intentions. And even in a lot of my usual rituals, like if I can eat it, I usually will. (laughs) (laughs) It's less wasteful. It's delicious. It's like a lot of people will stay in a certain magic practice because they're comfortable with it and that's what they were taught and they love it I am super nosy and curious so (laughs) I wanted to kind of like see what was out there you know like an Aladdin moment I wanted to be shown the world yeah well let's get into Halloween a little bit obviously Halloween is coming up it's the month of October everybody's very excited so let's talk about Halloween and witchcraft like what are some typical Halloween traditions that we see in mainstream society that are inspired by or, you know, taken from witchcraft? Yeah, so some of the things that we look at when we consider Halloween and witchcraft is, number one, we know that, like, a witch is a typical costume, right? Yes. (laughs) But 
actually a lot of the festival-based activities that we do during the fall season or the Halloween season, um, a lot of those are pagan or druidic practices. So take bobbing for apples, for example. A lot of people, I'm not entirely sure when it's transformed into like sticking your head in a basin of water. <laughs> it used to be that the apples like hung from a string and then you would go over, you try to catch it in your mouth and then they would peel it in one continuous peel and the peel would form the initial of your future lover. And even something as simple as the jack-o'-lantern, right? So, Back in those times as well, they had someone, um, when we talk about paganism, by the way, we are talking about like the Celtic culture. So that's where it originates pretty heavily, but I think it's also important to note that a lot of cultures along the way were doing very similar things. So the jack-o'-lantern, for example, they were actually using turnips and potatoes and large beets before the pumpkin came to be popular. That's actually when people immigrated over to America. That's when the pumpkin became popular. But it comes from this tradition of, oh, what's his name? It's like Tricky Jack. He essentially like was this super sly trickster guy, right? And he came along and he tricked the devil for like 10 years. And so the legend goes that he came into a bar and he wanted a pint of ale and he didn't have money to pay. So he was having a pint of ale with the devil for whatever reason, right? Like that's just a casual thing. Oh, just me and the devil sitting down for a pint together. <laughs> casual. <laughs> and so when it was time to pay, he convinced the devil to transform into a coin and to pay. And uh, instead, he ended up slipping that coin into his pocket with like an iron cross or a, a silver cross. And so it was said to trap the devil. And then he just kept trapping him again and again and tricking him for like 10 years. <laughs> oh, my. Wow. <laughs> well, Eventually, everyone dies, right? So Jack died. And when he's on his way up to heaven, God looks at him and he goes, uh, absolutely not. That was some sketchy ass behavior. Like, <laughs> you're not you're not going here, right? So he slaps his ass down into hell. And then the devil who had been tricking for a decade goes, absolutely not, bro. This is not for you. So his soul kind of got trapped in limbo. And he was left with nothing but a turnip and one of the embers from hell. So he carried this little glowing turnip with him forever. And uh, that's how the turnips got started was from that legend. <laughs> and so people started carving scary faces in there because they didn't want to welcome in the spirit of Tricky Jack. How we get to the point of the thinning of the veil from around then is like, his soul would have been in limbo. So we know that October, right? We know October is always like, oh, the veil's thinner around then. So this would have been yes. the or Tricky Jack was allowed to essentially like slip into the world instead of just hanging out in limbo forever. <laughs> so that's why they were like, oh, the veil's thin. We don't want this Jack guy hanging out around our, you know, our sweet digs. <laughs> we need to scare him off. And so that's how the Jack Lantern got started. And then when people immigrated to America, the pumpkin was a native fruit. And so they ended up using a pumpkin instead because it was easier to farm. Fascinating. 
Wow. That is so cool. What a great story. Yeah, it's there's some interesting stuff that happens, but I don't think people fully realize. And the history is just as interesting as like the fun, right? We know that we're having a great time carving pumpkins, but when we look back at the tail, it's just as fun. Yeah. It's another one. So trick-or-treating, when we look back to those druidic practices, they would have been having this huge Sawin festival. And Sawin looks like Sam Hain when it's written in English, just so that's how it was pronounced. And it would have been a three-day festival. <clears throat> and so these children would have essentially gone knocking door to door to get to gather contributions for this festival. Because uh, it was the harvest festival. So they would have painted like ashes on their face. They would have dressed up in probably hide from the animals that were slaughtered around that time because they were preserving meats and they were like, you know, gathering all of their crops for the year to prepare for winter. Yep. So as the veil was thinner around that time, they thought that fairies could pass through and that while their loved ones could pass through as well, um, they thought that, you know, evil spirits could pass through. So this was their way of hiding. And so they put ashes on their face, they would dress up in animal hides, and then they would go door to door and knock for the contributions for the festival. And so eventually, with the rise of Catholicism, that transformed into gathering offerings for All Saints Day, which is November 1st. And then as they immigrated to America in Canada around the 1920s, and I'm not entirely sure the origins of this, but there were neighborhoods that would gather together and the kids would knock door to door on their neighbor's doors and ask for, you know, food and treats in exchange for like not messing up their house. And then that um, kind of like went into the United States. And so that's how we get trick-or-treating. So cool. I love hearing that these stories because it sort of makes you think I, I've always loved the like, history and and stuff like that but I love to think about how long these traditions even though they've changed and really changed and become you know Halloween is based is secular at this point you know like it's changed so much but it really comes from all these interesting stories and traditions and and stuff like that so I just think it's I love hearing about it it's super cool it's cool. And I loved the reason to like dig, I'm like, I love a good reason to study, you know, <laughs> my Virgo yes. place thrives. They, <laughs> so I was like, what a better reason to deep dive into this. And even I learned stuff that I didn't know. This was really cool. So again, thank you for asking me to do this. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. So uh, those are, those are our Halloween traditions that we see in the mainstream that we're, you know, most people are participating in. What are some of some witchcraft specific Halloween traditions or like it's not really Halloween for witchcraft, I'm assuming like I don't know if there's that much actual crossover, but what are some traditions around this time that, you know, people who practice witchcraft or rituals um, that we don't see in the mainstream, what are some of those things. Yeah, so they would have said, well, well, we do to an extent. Some people, you know, we we add in what we want, what we don't want. And if we're feeling lazy that day or not, you know, so yep. <laughs> it would have been 
exactly the same as they would have been doing back then. So it turns into a day of like thankfulness and harvest and spending it with your loved ones. So we would be like having friends and family over for a huge feast, almost equivalent to Thanksgiving. And so it would be with foods that are in season and you would give a lot of thanks it would be a time of remembering your ancestors as well. So it's a great excuse to throw in some extra ancestral veneration, you know, pour one out for granny, we appreciate it. <laughs> and yeah. you can set up altars, you can give thanks to nature, you can do, it's a great time to cast spell work if you want, um, because it's like a wrap up, but most people use it for thanks and appreciation. And one of the traditions that still kind of carries on to this day is setting up a place setting at the table, leaving one empty and putting food on it because that thinning of the veil is happening. So it's expected that your ancestors will come visit you. So you set a place for them and you essentially, you know, let them grub, let them eat and enjoy the festivities with you. Very cool. Halloween, most of the time when we think about Halloween, one of the main and obviously Hocus Pocus 2 just came out, <laughs> got to plug it. Okay. So one of the main visuals that we see are witches, witches on their broomsticks, witches with their hats, like where does that idea come from and why are witches so heavily associated with Halloween in our mainstream media? So to talk about that, we have to go back to what was originally happening around that time. So when we talk around, when we talk about Halloween, we're talking about the Celtic Druids and paganism in general. So what essentially happened was they were having the Samhain festival and there, this would have been the equivalent of New Year. So everything's dying back and they're like, oh, okay, everything's coming to a close. We're preparing to start fresh around this time. So they would have been having their festivities and enjoying their times and their three-day festival. With the rise of Catholicism and monotheism, the Catholic Church was actually pretty smart about this. And instead of saying, absolutely not, you can't have this festival anymore. Now we're going to include one day. So instead of that third day, now it's going to be All Saints Day or even Hallows Day, which the start of the festival would have been Hallows Eve, which is how you get Halloween, right? All Hallows Eve, Halloween. Um, and so just language slurring together. They would have been celebrating All Saints Day and they would have been slowly transitioning them to monotheism instead of their polytheistic ways. And with that comes them bidding farewell to like their gods that they've been, you know, worshiping forever. And Catholicism essentially needed an adversary. <laughs> they needed someone to blame because people have a really hard time going, okay, I've given up everything I've known for you. Why is my life still bad? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So at that time as well, we would have had what was called like high and low magics. 
and high magic would have been things you needed a lot of like money and education for. So astrology, which was actually considered a huge science of that time, that was a scholarly pursuit. Um, it would have been herbal doctors, not herbalism, because herbalism would have been considered witchcraft. <laughs> Yeah, crazy, right? <laughs> wow, like, are there big differences in that? Or is it just the education component? Yeah, it's the education component and um, sexism, you know, being a male. So only men were doctors at that time. Right, so there's sexism and classism in yeah. that one. Super great time. You Incredible. Know? <laughs> <laughs> so a woman practicing that, they would have been like, she's a witch, she's a witch, and they needed someone to blame that on. But, um, so there would have been high and low magic. So high magic's being astrology and alchemy and being a doctor, right? And lower magic's being this folk magic, what the people would have been doing. And so for years and years and years, they would have been going to these wise women or their folk practitioners because they can't afford to just like haul their entire family over to the doctor at the drop of a hat because someone got bit by a snake you know so right. they would have needed these herbal remedies and so Catholicism looked at those people and were like these are the reason your baby went missing not because a fox grabbed it but because she put a hat she put a hex on you and a woman knowing what a highly educated person would have known at that time only discredits them. And it also leads back to uh, money. Everything always cycles back to money, right? So the Catholic church at the time needed tithing. And so how were they gonna convince people that they needed to tithe and worship this one God that they wanted everyone to worship if they didn't have someone to blame everything on? And so these women who had helped families forever were now transformed into the bad guys because it was easier to blame people for that. Wow. And even when we look at things like a broomstick, um, it was a great way. We see witches and we see brooms. And those brooms originally in their practices would have been used for sweeping and cleansing the areas before a ceremony or before a procedure or whatever they were doing. So now they had to be a little sneakier about it. If someone from the church came into your home and they saw salves and quote potions and things like that, they would have been like, you're a witch, you're a witch. <laughs> and so they needed to hide those things. And what they would do is they would cover their broomsticks with these salves. And then the most popular one was, you know, like the witches, they want to have a good time too. So of course. <laughs> It was called a flying ointment, which is where we get the witches flying on broomsticks, you know, highway, I guess. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. So called a flying ointment. And it essentially was just a hallucinogenic because, you know, YOLO, but <laughs> it needed a mucus membrane. And so they would take their broomsticks and, you know, rub it on their tender bits <laughs> And that's how they got associated with uh, riding the broomstick is because they would be swiping it, you know? So oh my goodness, <laughs> that, wow. That is really something that I did not know. Like, I bet most people don't know that. That is so interesting. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's incredible. 
makes you look at your broom differently. It really does. I, I just think that's so, that's so fascinating. So when we're talking about this time, we're sort of talking about like, in terms of history, the rise of the Catholic church. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I forget what years that was, but just for anybody listening, who's like, when was this? It's like, I'm sure you can Google it. I don't know. 1700s to the 1800s, like right around. But yeah, yeah, that's a huge factor. And then even when we look at things like that, um, that originally our very first instance was starting in China. And then it kind of like went further and went further, went through this whole rigmarole of things. And eventually it got associated here in America with the Quakers and the Puritans were the religion that everyone was like, you need to be a Puritan, you need to be a Puritan, right? And so even though the Quakers didn't have these pointy hats, they still got lumped into this pointy hat, I don't know, I guess caricature. and. Right they would force people who were accused of being a witch to wear these pointy hats. And so it wasn't something that women like went out of their way to wear. And even the term witch is something that people would not have wanted to be called, but we're having a little, you know, reclamation moment. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Reclaim the word. That's so, I didn't know about the hat either. So it wasn't, because I always wondered about that. Like you really don't see anybody wearing hats like that obviously like now maybe in like for Halloween costumes and stuff like that but yeah that's so interesting so they were made to wear it so then you associate a witch with the hat because of that so interesting and even like um the shoes so there was a whole bunch of like gossip and stuff suggesting that witches just love shoes which is fair I do love shoes but (laughs) (laughs) They essentially were like, oh, a witch can get a hold of your shoes and steal your soul. And if they have your shoes, they can do crazy magics. And in some cultures, that is still a thing. And I don't pretend to know the ins and outs of it, of what you can do with that. But that is how they got started, was that rumor of witches stealing your shoes. So people would like hide your shoes and then like people that were accused of being a witch, they would be forced to wear like these pointy shoes as well. And even in like the Wizard of Oz, right? Those little curly like ends. Yep. <laughs> so that would have been akin to Satan's hooves. And oh. <laughs> they like kind of made this crazy caricature of what a witch actually was when when we see like the green skin and the moles and the warts and like this old haggish figure but these actually would have been women in about their 20s so the fact that they had this knowledge to begin with is truly incredible and I'm sure that was scary to the people at the time (laughs) like hey how can I be in power if I don't provide all of these things and more right so interesting so it really does seem like a so paganism and witchcraft seem to sort of go hand in hand but um I don't know maybe this is an ignorant question for somebody who's not in witchcraft but so but not every person who practices witchcraft is pagan is that true yeah absolutely not it is a decision kind of like me I don't really subscribe to anything in particular I just kind of I'm just your vibe to be honest (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
But a lot of people will claim that they are pagan and they'll look into the pagan gods at the time and they'll adhere to the ceremonies that they were having. And that's their religion is paganism. Um, and then we can look into other things like Wicca, which I think was invented in the 70s. So it's mm-hmm. still really new. Um, it's always transforming. So there's a ton of things and cultures that people can align themselves with. Uh, and it doesn't have to necessarily be pagan. But when we talk about paganism, we're talking about that Celtic Druidic culture at the time, which is how we get into the Halloween and the Samhain festivals and things like that. Right. And the transformation with the Catholic church, all that stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Makes a lot of sense. Very cool. So anybody listening who's interested in the witchcraft, you don't have to be pagan to be doing the witchcraft. So (laughs) they're a very warm and welcoming group. So like, if you want to, (laughs) there you go. I love it. Um, very cool. So we did touch a little bit on the, at the beginning of the episode about the, the veil being thin. And I've always been really fascinated with that concept. So I'm wondering, and we talked about the little tricky Jack and, and all of that, but I'm wondering, like, is there any more sort of like reasoning? And I know, I feel like one thing I have read about this is that there's something to do with the equinox, which was in September. So the autumnal equinox and between that and the yeah the winter solstice so like there's this time in between having to do with nature but that's just my little jumbled like google about it is there any other sort of insight that you can offer on the thinning veil and why maybe also during this time I mean I know a lot of people who just during this time sort of feel called to open up like why why do you think that is so when we look at it historically this would have been the season of endings and so we're almost embracing the death to the crops and the death to the animals that would have been you know preserved for people to make it through winter so after that harvest time we're moving into a time of dying back and so people assumed that because nature around them was dying back that this was a time where the dead could rise and the spirits could rise and so it was associated heavily in that death-like culture and so that's why you see it and you know i'm sure like a lot of things the more you believe in it the more everyone around you starts to believe that as well but we feel it i mean we feel it in october so I definitely, you know, see some spooky shit every now and then. And I'm like, oh, it's October. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. I, I think it's so fascinating. And I just love the idea of, um, I also love the idea that in a lot of other cultures and like, we're t- sort of talking about like Celtic and paganism, that death isn't something to fear. Yeah. Really, it's something to like be interested in or celebrate. Like it's yeah. more like, you know this should be celebrated our ancestors are here like all that all that type of stuff so I think that's really cool yeah everything was just considered to be a natural cycle so that was really the beauty of paganism is they move into the natural cycles of nature and life and it's not that things are good or bad they just are and it's a really beautiful belief system in honoring 
all the different seasons and changes and all these different gods and spirits that have to do with all of these changes. And yeah, I just like it. I think it's really pretty. And even though I'm not, it's, it's easy to look at it and go, oh, from, you know, an American standpoint, like a traditional Christian standpoint, right? Because I used to be Mormon. Okay. <laughs> so, like, to look at it through those eyes, if I was still Mormon, I would go, oh, well, that's not God, you know? But to look at it now, I go, wow, that is really beautiful. Like, they, they aren't afraid of hell and the afterlife and never getting to see their loved ones again or anything like that it's all just harmony and it's really pretty I like it a lot yeah there's sort of like that picture just sort of the idea like thinking of it it's like it's just like a flowing circle and that's it just is so yeah what was your transition like from being in the Mormon church to witchcraft Ooh, okay a good one right so Here's what happened. So the story was, uh, we joined the Mormon church in, I think I was in seventh grade and I just didn't like it from the get go, to be honest. It's not for me. I don't have, I'm just going to leave that alone for the most part, but it wasn't for me. Right. So I dipped and I was like, I don't love this. And then when I got married, I actually went back to it. And I was like, this is the only thing I've ever known. I know that I'm supposed to be in a religion because that was the conditioning, right? I was like, I know that I'm supposed to like have a faith and this is the one I know. So this is the one I'm gonna try. And so we went into it and I was like, oh, I fucked up. What have I done? <laughs> and then, then I dipped again. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, well, now that that's over. But then like the entire time I had never really stopped practicing witchcraft. So I was kind of like in this weird jumbly place of like, what, what is it that I truly believe? Because I know it's not this. I know I like this, but my religious conditioning says I shouldn't like this. So there was a lot of struggle there. Kind of like almost, I had to come to almost a reckoning. And even to this day, I still find myself wondering like, oh, am I going to go to hell for eternity? Even though logically, I know I won't. I know that I'm not, it's not something I need to worry about. But that conditioning, man, that's rough. <laughs> it's strong. It's very strong in so many religions. It's, it's, yeah. And when you grow up in it, it's, you, to some extent, believe what you're told when you're young. And yeah, some of that stuff is really hard to pull yourself out of when you're an adult. So it's interesting too, because when we look at Mormonism and Catholicism, they're super witchy. They're like super ritualistic and like the Mormons have like secret handshakes. They have like temple clothing that you have to wear to walk into there. Like there's a lot and you see it in the Catholic church too with like the waving of incense, right? And like the ritualistic chanting. There's a lot, there's a lot going on there. So I always go, hmm, that's looking at you. <laughs> it's a little witchy in there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's a lot of sort of tradition and rituals that are, have been adapted to modern in quotes religion um, from all types. So from like all types of, I don't know if indigenous is the right word, but like 
culture, you know, ancient, more ancient cultures yeah. and uh, polytheistic cultures around the world. So very fascinating how it all sort of braids together. So well, thank you so yeah. much for sharing that. Yeah, no worries. That part is actually interesting as well, because that's how we get like folk Catholicism is the people who were merging with the practices at that time, plus Catholicism just kind of like wove it together and never really stopped. So that's how you get folk insert religion, you know, practitioners. And it's this really interesting merging of beliefs and it has its own beauty to it for sure. Yeah. And I think, I think that's also one way where when you saw these sort of really strong, especially Catholicism churches sort of taking over Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, sort of forcing religion on people, it it was like, okay, well, I, maybe I can't keep my full religion the way I want to, but I can insert these practices and keep some of my religion while I have to do this type of thing. So yeah so interesting (laughs) the history of the world man it's all uh it's very complicated it's wild there I can't imagine like getting a PhD in this right the amount of research you would have to do but also I'm hella curious like I would love to just go back and learn everything the world has to offer ever yes all of this is so interesting to me and I love the history of it and I love history one thing that has always annoyed me about history is like I'm never gonna know that the exact answer you know like history is written by so many different people it's written by the winner it's written by you know this and that and I just I'm like I if I could time travel and know the true true answer I would do that because I just want to know yeah so all super interesting back on the subject of more of like the witchcraft modern day what is a myth about we've talked a lot about them today so far but what is a myth about witchcraft modern day that you would like to dispel I think just moving away from the fact that it's all devil worship right and that's such a huge one is people hear witchcraft and they think to themselves oh that's the devil that's scary but if they look back far enough their ancestors were doing it too (laughs) and just in a different way (laughs) and so it's kind of interesting how people are very unwilling to take a look at what's happening in their own ancestry because this is what I believe now and there's no changing it but yeah, I mean, some witches do worship the devil. Some people who aren't witches are, aren't witches worship the devil, you know? And yep. it, there's a lot to it. And we're going to put the devil in quotes because, like, is that even a thing, right? <laughs> right. So, what really is it? Right. And so there's a, there's a lot to it. But your witches it's almost guaranteed that you know someone who is a practicing witch that just hasn't told you. Like for me, I was closeted for like 10 years because I was super afraid of the judgment that I would catch. I was afraid that like my loved ones wouldn't love me anymore. I was so terrified. And so I learned all this stuff in secret. I don't know. It's just... I think the more we're open about it, the more we talk about it, the more we're willing to listen to everyone's belief systems on all sides, right? Like, I don't hate Christianity. I think there's a lot of really good people out there. There's people that are doing the things that truly exemplify what Christianity is supposed to be. And 
they're awesome people, just like there are really awesome witches, just like there are really awesome insert religion here. <laughs> so yes. a little satanic panic always kind of irks me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I hear that totally. Such great points. Um, yeah, so good. So obviously this is a, you know, first, first and foremost, a psychic slash mediumship podcast. So my question is, and I, you know, obviously there's definitely overlap in the psychic community, the witchcraft community for sure. So I'm wondering, usually my last question for, for my visitors is, you know, what's something that people can do to open their door to their psychic and mediumship abilities. But I'm going to ask you, what are some herbs that we can use to enhance our psychic abilities and, and maybe our connection to the other side, especially this month of October? Yeah. So we have Jasmine, we have honeysuckle, mugwort, dandelion, yarrow. Yarrow is like an ancient one, kind of like really amazing for everything. Uh, myrrh, frankincense, these really great things. And you can burn them. You can make them into a tea. You can like make satchelets. You can, I can talk. You can make... <laughs> You can put them in little pouches, put them under your pillow. You can do a ton of things. You can include them in your spell work. You can make herbal baths with them. But all of them have the correlation of divination and increasing connection to the other side. Yeah, I had a tea. Um, I have this local, there's a local tea maker who I just love. And in her teas, there's these big dandelion heads and I don't have it anymore because I drank it all, obviously. But I was always like, I don't know, do I like the taste of this? And then I think I saw on your Instagram, probably, you were talking about dandelion and like psychic abilities. And I was like, I got to get some more of that. And dandelion's great for you. It's like super rich and a ton of vitamins and like even magic properties aside, right? It's an incredible herb. Makes your skin glow. It's great. And it's beautiful too. Dried, I think is even more than, you know, when it's sitting outside. It's just like this beautiful little dried golden sunshine in your tea. So very, very cool. I love it. I love so much all the history we talked about, like all these new things, the witches on their brooms, like, oh my goodness, how sassy I like, oh, wow. So thank you so, so much, Brittany, for being here, for giving us the history lesson. I think people are really going to love hearing this and for giving us little tips on our psychic herbs at the end there. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was such a good time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want more from Opening the Door Podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Opening the Door Podcast. And remember, don't be afraid to open your door.